couple of other announcements. Number one, how, let, me, let me say it this way. How cool would it be if our community from unincorporated Clackamas County, Happy Valley, Milwaukee, Oak Grove, Gladstone, if the church got together and had a vision, not like a movie playing, but no, a vision and believed for a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every house, every home, every man, woman, and child would have an understanding of what Jesus has done for them and the expression of God's love. How epic would that be if that was the mission that we would reach our Jerusalem? Can I get an amen? I mean, isn't that the great commission that we would go? And when we go, we would go first to those that are in our Jerusalem, like the Acts 1-8 model. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. How cool would it be if we plotted every single neighborhood on a map? Now, walk with me on this. Every single neighborhood on a map. And every evangelical church plotting on the same map, maybe in a little different color, but the family members of the church that live in each of those individual cluster neighborhoods, like my neighborhood. I know in my neighborhood there are 328 houses. 328 houses. Which means there's, except for those that may be vacant, there are at least 320 plus people and or families that live right in my immediate neighborhood. And in my immediate neighborhood, there are probably those who attend a variety of different churches. What if that cluster of believers got together and said, this is our neighborhood. We're going to reach our neighborhood for the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? Thanks, by the way, Josh. That was a good one. He was loud and said amen. What if we did that? And we worked together to reach our community. Well, I'm pretty excited about the prospect of doing that. And I think the church leaders in our community are birthing vision. One of those ways of doing that is with Good News Clubs. Can I get an amen, Jody? Amen. We are prayerfully considering how we might launch Good News Clubs for children after school and or on a Saturday where kids in a neighborhood could be invited into a home and hear the good news. How cool would that be? Some of you here, that's perhaps where you first heard the gospel. If just a little something moved in you when I was just describing what it could look like if all of the church leaders and all of the local fellowships 
got together on one mission page and said, we can do this, and we can do this better because we're working together. We can do this more efficient because we are single-minded in God's kingdom. If you say, that really, I get a little bit excited about that. Maybe little, maybe a lot. I want to encourage you to see Jody McKinnis. Jody, will you stand real quick? Will you see Jody after the service? Give her your name, your contact information, and we're going to begin the dream team at Hillside on what that might look like. We'll start maybe with one, one neighborhood, but we want you to be involved. So can I get an amen? Can I get a stronger amen? Come on. The second one is, Recently, our governor, uh, J- Jody Brown, is it Jody Brown? Kate Brown. Jody, that's not you. <laughs> Kate Brown put into effect Oregon tax dollars, your tax dollars, to fund abortion without your consent, without my consent. There are petitions that are going around to stop the Oregon tax dollars funding abortion. We want to encourage you to sign those petitions, that that could be reversed. We first believe in the sanctity of life, because God does. Life begins at conception, and so we want to support life. Now then, the very nature of U.S. tax dollars or Oregon State tax dollars going without our consent, that's your money, my money, going to fund something that I'm not in favor of. I'm signing the petition. And I believe it's a small number, some 100,000 plus signatures that we need to have to initiate some change. So I'm gonna invite you, Teresa Seiler, will you just stand? She has, just real quick, you can wave your hand, stand. She has some petitions. She's gonna be in the foyer after service. Will you stop by and see her and sign that petition? Okay. I feel like I had at least one more thing I wanted to say. Oh, the sermon. (laughs) I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 43. And while you're turning to Genesis 43, I asked uh, one of my kids if they could remember a time in their lives vividly when they saw their dad afraid or in fear. And the coolest part for me was it took a while for them to come up with a story. But when they did, I remembered the story vividly. We were on vacation down in California, and we had gone through Yosemite, and uh, we were having a nice family vacation. The kids were a little bit younger. While we were driving on vacation, we get to listen to Adventures in Odyssey, you know, focus on the family 
stories and they're just fun and we're quoting all the lines and we're misquoting the lines and oh ha 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 fun times and we're just giggling in the car in fact there were times I was laughing so hysterically that I literally had to pull the vehicle over because my when I laugh my eyes tear up so much it's like I don't have windshield wipers in here and I can't see I mean we're just having a good old family time well we We're making our way out, and we thought, well, we're going to go the back way back to Clackamas. So we're going to go over at, I believe, what is known as Tioga Pass. Is that correct? Is it called Tioga Pass? Yes, Tioga Pass. Well, I remember as a kid when my dad talked about Tioga Pass. We must have done that when I was a kid. I don't remember, but he talked about, oh, it's a steep grade, and if you have a heavy vehicle, you got to be careful how you are on the brakes because you can heat your brakes up and they can become ineffective. Gary, where are you? Gary, is that, is that how brakes work? Can they get ineffective? Is that even a good word? Um, yeah, that's you, brother. <laughs> they, I, I mean, that's, I, was, I was thinking, hey, no problem. I'm in my expedition. I changed my brake pads. Yes, you know. <laughs> if, if I changed them, I should be worried. That's exactly right. So all that to say, we start heading down, and we're laughing. Oh, ha, ha, giggle, giggle. And it gets steep. I'm in a heavy vehicle. I got it fully loaded. I got my family, all my precious stuff. And I start to apply brakes. And pretty soon, I'm applying brakes rather continuously. Pretty soon, I start smelling what smells like brakes on fire. And my brakes' effectiveness began to wear out. And I'm accelerating, and I'm not slowing down, and I'm pressing on the brakes. And I remember thinking at that moment, I'm terrified because I'm going to have to on the inside turn, put my car up against a sheer wall and try and use the wall to slow me down because there's no way I want my family on the next outside turn to decide to go rolling over the embankment. And I was terrified. Well, we came to a place on the road where I could actually get off the road. It sort of leveled out and the brakes worked just enough, but it took me forever and a day to bring the car to a halt. Put it in park. And we, I got out checked, but we waited till those things were cooled off. And then we made our way down, and it was, we were all safe. But I remembered being just fearful and afraid at that moment, and kind of terror. And I will tell you, when we were, uh, my family recently was in uh, Europe, and there was an accident in our trek from Zurich to Milan, we're going through the Swiss and Italian Alps. And there was an accident in one of the tunnels, and we happened to be right at an off-ramp, and our GPS got service, and we found, hey, no worries, we don't have to sit in this parking lot for hours on end to fix what was going on in one of the tunnels. We can go over the Alps on the old road. They're big mountains. (laughs) They're steep mountains. You shouldn't build roads on big and steep mountains. There were parts of this road where the switchbacks, there wasn't room to make the turn, so they built the road out over nothing. 
And when you're driving with all your precious cargo and you're in a van and you're up a little higher, and as you're going around, you're looking over your shoulder and you're thinking, well, that's way down there. I don't even see anything. I mean, I think the experienced drivers on this road were very mad at me as I clenched my steering wheel at 10 miles an hour making these turns. Bicyclers were passing me. <laughs> it was terrifying. And it was also thrilling at the same point. Several of the gals in the car were saying, I don't want to do that again. And all the guys were in the car saying, maybe on the way home we could do that again. <laughs> Fear. Fear. Fear is a serious emotion. It is a motivator. In fact, the definition of fear, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or is a threat. It's a primal human instinct, powerful motivator. They say it's they, on the outside, say it is the most powerful motivator. I think you and I would say love is a more powerful motivator. Fearful memories oftentimes are etched in our brains as a result of our adrenal system kicking in adrenaline, and it seems to create a memory of that that can be readily remembered and recalled in detail. Fear. Fear makes us uncomfortable, and we have many fears. Fear of pain or injury, fear of disease or death, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of deception, fear of getting caught. Fear is that emotion that kicks in that fight or flight mentality. Fear often stagnates. It keeps us staying or in a state of paralysis or retreat back into a comfort zone, if you will. Yes, a powerful motivator, but oftentimes motivating us to wrong behavior or wrong reaction, wrong decision-making. Fear leads to disobedience. Consider Saul, the first king of Israel. His first assignment, because of the fear of man, he did not carry out the assignment and operated in disobedience, direct disobedience to the Lord. Fear oftentimes causes in our mind the reduction of the size of our God and the exaggeration of the size of that which is bringing the fear about. When we fix our eyes on the issue rather than on the sovereignty of God. You remember the Israelites' report when they came back, the spies came back. There's giants, and we are like grasshoppers. Think about the exaggeration. Now, there really were giants. 
in the land, the descendants of Anak. But the exaggeration of the infinitesimally small, squashable bug was the view of themselves. Fear erodes faith. Consider Peter in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus beckoned me to come. Jesus says, come on in, Peter, the water's fine. Peter steps out of the boat. The only other human being to walk upon water other than Jesus Christ himself. But he began to see the wind and the waves. And eyes off of Jesus and eyes on the conditions he began to sink. His faith erodes. Faith causes men to conceal sin. Remember back in Genesis chapter 38, Judah, Judah and Tamar, he gives his staff and his signet ring and his ribbon as pledge. And when his Adulamite friend brings the goat to find the prostitute. She's nowhere to be found. And so they ask at the gate, where's the temple prostitute? They said, there is none. And Judah's like, uh, let's quietly disappear lest we be publicly shamed. Conceal, not wanting it to come out. Oftentimes, fear of getting caught will cause the concealing, if you will. Fear leads to avoidance, paralysis, oftentimes an over-analysis of things that are just hypothetical and not even real. <laughs> Have you been there before? Our minds are active and they start conjuring up all kinds of things that could be stirring. Causes coverings. Lying. Consider Adam in the Garden of Eden. He hid because he heard the sound of God in the midst of the garden. And they hid. And they covered themselves, trying to make a covering for their disobedience. Again, fear. What causes fear? What causes fear and the fears that you may be experiencing? And I'll, I'll quantify because there are some fears that are like phobias, like I have a fear of elevators. Whatever yours may be, I don't know. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're real and big in our minds. But there are very genuine fears. The Bible talks about several causes of fear, doubt being one of them, as I mentioned Peter in the boat and climbing out in the boat. Unbelief, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief. Psalm 78, verses 13 through 22, give a picture of all the things that God did for the children of Israel in the Exodus. Well, not all of them, but I mean a majority of them. Major things that God did. 
parting of the Red Sea and the waters and the walls of the waters stood on either side. And he goes through a variety of miraculous things that God did. And then the children of Israel's response. In fact, turn in your Bibles, hold your finger there in Genesis 46. Go, will you turn to Psalms for a moment? Psalm 78 again. Psalm 78. And it says in verse 22, verse 21, Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. They said things like, oh yeah, sure, you can give us water from a rock, you can even split a rock and have streams of water flow, but okay, that's fine. But can you give us bread? Can you give us meat? You can miraculously cause water to come from a rock. Anybody else here think, oh, that's something spectacular. That's something spectacular. They're like, oh yeah, okay, we'll give you that. But hey, can you give us bread? Can you give us meat? God's like, unbelief in God's salvation and provision for them. False belief, a cause of fear. Believing in something that's not true. It's an amazing picture that the early rabbis had in relationship to the story of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. One of the Targums, the oral teaching of the Jewish fathers, relates to the story that when Eve responded to the serpent and said, we can eat of the trees in the midst of the garden, but of the tree in the middle of the garden, we cannot eat it nor touch it lest we die. But that's not what God said. God said, don't eat it. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But she added something and clearly believed that God said, don't touch the tree. And the Targum points out these oral teachings of the rabbi that the serpent was here, if you could imagine here, Here's Eve, and the tree was behind her. And the Targum points out that the serpent pushed Eve against the tree. In her mind, she thinks, if I touch it, I'll die. She touches it, and she doesn't die. And Satan affording the opportunity, questions God because of her belief in something that wasn't even true. He said, God knows in the day that you eat of the fruit, you will become like him. She doubted God because she had added to the word of God and believed it. Now, whether that actually happened or not, it's conjecture. It's not textual. However, how many of us 
have believed something that we thought was true and it gave us an impression that may have been based entirely on something that is false. That's a real human tendency. I'll give you an example. Remember when you were in high school? Now, I'm not a girl. Can I get an amen? But I, as a youth pastor, I would hear girls say, did you see how she looked at me? I know what she meant by that look. What? It's an assumption. And oftentimes we make assumptions and come up with a conclusion, we fill in the blank, when it may not in fact be anything to do with what was going on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you been there before, right? So false belief. Let me mention what Chapman College or Chapman University identifies as 10 domains of fear. Domains. This is areas that you and I and those that are part of humanity have fears in. And the reason I'm identifying fears up front is because the text today in Genesis chapter 46, God addresses a man who has fear. And we're going to be looking at how God relieves our fears. So 10 domains, crime. People think about and fear crime, murder, rape, theft, burglary, fraud, identity theft, crimes in general. Some of us are even fearful on the freeway that someone is gonna get there before we do, and so we use the accelerator. <laughs> it's a crime, you're breaking the law. Personal anxieties. They say one of the number one personal anxieties or fears is public speaking. Anybody want to try it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tight spaces, all those phobias, if you will. The judgment of others. We're concerned about what others think of us. Quote, unquote, it's our reputation. And oftentimes, it's our appearance, our weight, our age, our race, our body type, our clothing, blah, 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 our social status. Judgment of others. It's the proverbial being accepted. Some, the environment, global warming, overpopulation, pollution, etc. Daily life, daily living, romantic rejection, ridicule, the simplicity of talking to strangers, technology. Hey, if you're a little older and you're a little concerned about technology, welcome to my world. <laughs> I don't know how to get, I can't get anything functioning right, it seems like. I'm always asking my kids, hey, can you help me with this? I don't even want to try and read the manual. Uh, Gary, I, w I went by the shop the other day, and Gary was showing me a, a 1951 Ford uh, manual. I'm telling you, it was like, it was like probably 12 pages. And, you, and it's little. I thought, oh, that's great. I saw the manual for my truck a number of years ago. It was this thing. It was eight and a half by, it was almost like 11 by 17. You know, and font size eight. You got to have a magnifying glass to even read. I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to find anything in this book. 
Fear. I can't do it. Technology. Fear of natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, floods, droughts, hurricanes, kind of stuff that in America, in America, certainly in Oregon, certainly in Florida and Texas, stuff that's happening right now. Our personal future, fear of dying, fear of illness, fear of, or fear of uh, running out of money or unemployment, man-made disasters like terrorism and uh, bio-warfare, nuclear fallout or nuclear war, that kind of stuff. People take time thinking about this. How about just government, corruption in government, fear of the corruption. Big Brother's paying too much attention to me. He's watching everything I do, the eye in the sky kind of thing. Immigration, gun control, the loss of rights. So, 10 domains of fear identified. And maybe, you, maybe you've identified and you know some of the things that you're fearful of. Maybe we've addressed some of those. Maybe it's something different. But how does God relieve your fear and my fear? Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 7. Last week, Matthew brought us through chapter 45 and the revelation of Joseph to his brothers. His brothers go home and tell their father, your son Joseph is alive. It's interesting. It's interesting that he didn't believe initially. But then they told him everything that Joseph had said to say to their father. And the Bible says he believed. He believed. And the next verse, he was first addressed as Jacob, and then the next verse, he's addressed as Israel. And you see, it goes from fear, Jacob, to Israel, faith. Joseph is alive. And so we come to Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God, to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father, Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt. Jacob and his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, in the next few moments, as we consider, Lord, how you love us and minister to us in our times of fear. So often you speak those words, fear not, for I am with you. Lord, may we see the intimacy that you have with your children, and may, Lord, we respond when fear knocks on our door. May we respond with faith. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. Amen. 
God gives us faith. Faith. Faith, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Faith. Everyone has been given a measure of faith. There's a substance in us and there's an evidence in us of there's more to this story. There's more evidence of the unseen. The Bible says that we can actually grow our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Note that God speaks to Jacob. He gives his word and Jacob's faith is strengthened. Notice that in chapter 45, Jacob did not believe initially that Joseph was alive. By faith, he later says, Joseph is alive, it is enough. Now God says, Joseph is going to touch your eyes. He will be there when you die. Oftentimes when a man dies, his eyes remain open and so a hand comes and closes the eyelids. This is what God is referencing. You will see Joseph again. He will be there, part of you part of your life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word to us. God speaks to his children. How cool is that? The creator of the universe, he's speaking. He's speaking. Principally, let me suggest to you today, this is God's number one relief of fear. He speaks to his children. He speaks. How does God speak to us? Well, first, he speaks to us as his possession. We're his children, his progeny. We're his kids. I love this. Verse two says, then God spoke to Israel. Israel is that name when, when Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord in Genesis chapter 32, the angel of the Lord said, you are Jacob. You will no longer be called by Jacob. You are Israel. You're no longer self-governed, snatcher, heel grabber, deceitful Jacob. You are now governed by God. For you and I, that's like a picture of our conversion. Before I knew Christ, I was self-driven, self-oriented, self life. When I said yes to Jesus, I submitted to his authority in my life. I came under his covering. It's a picture. He speaks to his kids. Then God spoke to Israel, his children. Notice that he says Israel and not Jacob in the initial address, that after conversion, if you will. Secondly, he speaks to us through his presence, his presence. I love that 
while Jacob is sleeping, you recall previously he had a dream in Bethel. And his dream in Bethel was of a staircase ascending to the throne of God and angels were both ascending and descending. And when he woke, he said, this is nothing less than the house of God. I was unaware of God's presence. And here in the midst of the night again in Beersheba, he is mindful of the presence of God. The presence of God. You remember when he was on the side of the Jabbok River. He had got his whole family. When he was going to meet Esau, he got word that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 soldiers and fear probably gripped his heart and he separated his two, two sides of his family and he came back and the Bible says that he was alone on the side of the Jabbok. And the next statement is, and a man wrestled with him all night. Jacob was not alone. God was there. You're not alone and I'm not alone. God is here. He says to every believer, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with us. He says, lo, even unto the end of the age. He's with us. His presence. Verse 2 says, then God. God. How many times does the scripture say, but God. But God. Thus and so, but God. God, thus and so, but God, God is with us. Hallelujah. Fear not. Our conscience, our conscience has an awareness of the very reality. God has written upon the tablets of our heart his truth, his truth. And there's conviction and convincing. God is present. God is here. We know the story of the Exodus. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he comes to deliver. It's his character. It's his nature. And he is consistent. God sees what you're going through. God knows your sorrows. He hears your cries of despair. He can interpret even your moan and your groans. Where there are no words to describe how you feel and you think, oh, no one understands me. Don't believe that for a moment. That's the lie the enemy wants you to believe. There is one, no matter what, who fully understands how you feel. And he can interpret even the cries and the groans that proceed from your eyes and your mouth and your heart. He knows. And the beauty is he cares. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. How cool is that? God loves us. And he comes to deliver in our time of need. I love that we sang, Pastor Dennis, uh, I lift my eyes up. 
I know where my help comes from. I don't know the words exactly. I just sing it as we go, and I generally look at the screen. But that's Psalm 128. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Then the psalmist says, where does my help come from? Question mark. Where does it come from? Then he answers his rhetorical question. My help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Thirdly, he speaks to us in our proclivity. In the dream or the night vision, God says, Jacob, Jacob. The word proclivity is, what is our natural tendency? Where do we go? And man's natural tendency is to be in the flesh and to view things. Woe is me. Trouble. Just like Jacob earlier, all these things are against me. They weren't against him. All of this stuff, Simeon, Joseph, the drought, now taking Benjamin and going down to Egypt. And Jacob's like, oh, this is all against me. And yet it wasn't against him. God was for him. And God was preparing. He was believing something that was completely askew. He was off base. Oh, woe is me. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. That's Jacob in the flesh. And God is saying, I will come to you in your proclivity, your natural tendency, just like I did with Jacob. I'll meet you where you are. Aren't you thankful for that? You don't have to work up. You don't have to pretend in the eyes of God or in the face of God. Come as you are. And he'll meet you right where you are. And if you are like without any faith, thanks be to God, when we are faithless, he is what? Faithful. Thanks be to God. Oh, that nothing would prevent us from coming to the Lord when he calls us. He came to Jacob in a place of familiarity. You see, Beersheba is a time and a place where Jacob has already experienced God. He came in that. He came in his fleshiness, if you will, his former name, Jacob. Notice he didn't say Israel, Israel. He says, Jacob, Jacob, your natural tendency is to operate out of the flesh. Do you know that every time that God changes someone's name, he never refers to them by their old name except twice in Scripture. Two times, two people. He often calls them by their former name. The two people are Jacob and Peter in the New Testament. Every other person who has changed, God never refers to them by their old name, always the new name in which he has changed, except for these two guys, because their tendency was to go back to the flesh. You, you, see, you see Simon Peter when Jesus says, who do the sons of men say that I am? And some said Elijah, some said this. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up to the plate and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. You imagine Peter was just like, did you guys hear that? <laughs> who knows how he responded, but blessed are you. And he was like saying the word of God. The next paragraph, 
Jesus is revealing what is going to transpire, and he says, no, hey, Lord, hey, this is not going to happen. No, we're not going to allow that to happen. And you can almost put yourself there, Jesus looking Peter in the eyes and saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Speaking the words of God, speaking the very promptings of the evil one. Wow. The tendency to go back to the flesh. Jacob, Jacob. He speaks to us personally. He says in verse 3, do not fear to go down to Egypt. Do not fear. Jacob more than likely remembers his father going down, or his grandfather going down to Egypt. Abraham. Abraham went down to Egypt. Abraham got into a lot of trouble when he went down to Egypt. God never told Abraham to go down to Egypt. But Abraham responded to a drought and went down to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Rather than exercising faith, the father of faith, he goes down to Egypt. While he's down in Egypt, he's a liar to save his own skin. And while he's there, he acquires Hagar, who has, to this very day, her descendants have caused grief and continue to cause grief for the nation of Israel. He's probably very mindful. Hey, Grandpa made a mistake. He's probably mindful that when Isaac was going to do the exact same thing, when Isaac had made his way over to the Mediterranean coast in the lands of the Philistines, God said, do not go down to Egypt. And now he's being beckoned to go down to Egypt. You can imagine, he's like in a swirl. What am I supposed to do? He says and speaks to Jacob personally. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. The very nature that God says do not fear is indicative of the fact that he was Fearful. Does that make sense? God's addressing it. It's two-way communication. Again, Jacob, Jacob. God's listening. He says, here I am. And then God proceeds. He's listening and he's hearing us. He cuts to the chase. Hey, you may be an old guy, advanced in years. You're moving out of your comfort zone. You're moving into a different culture. I mean, these were Bedouin shepherds, and they're going to the city, the metropolis, of Egypt. Shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. He's, this is a different culture. Mindful of all the implications, he knows that God told his grandfather that 400 years they would be in bondage. Is this the beginning? Lots. God says, do not fear. He speaks to us potently. Verse 3 said, he says to Jacob, I am God. I am God. I am God. He would say to you and I today, in the mindfulness of our stuff, in the mindfulness of our circumstances, in the mindfulness of what we are going and enduring, in the mindfulness of our fears, he says to you and he says to me, I am God. I'm God. I am God. 
the creator of the universe. He is the one who spoke into existence every single thing that is observable by our natural eye all the way down to the electronic microscope, all the way up to the Hubble spacecraft and other crafts that are going with telescopes that enable us to see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of galaxies. He says, I am God. That puts our stuff into perspective. Jeremiah facing overwhelming circumstances. God said to him, behold, I am God, and there is, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? Let God arise and all his enemies be scattered. God. Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. David says in the Psalms, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Potently. He is absolutely all powerful. He speaks to us provisionally. And I'll make this quick. Provisionally. He says, I'm the God of your father. The God of your father, Isaac. It's calling to remembrance for Jacob, those things that God had promised to Isaac and fulfilled for Isaac. Remembrances of the testimonies. The God of Isaac. The God of Abraham. Psalm 68, we sang very similar to this this morning again. Psalm 68, verse 28. Summon your powers, O God. Show us your strength as you have done before, before. By the way, we used to sing that as a song. I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> I was tempted. <laughs> okay, I got an amen. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> that was so I wouldn't sing. <laughs> Finally, he speaks to us with promise. Promise. His words... And his word give hope. Four times, three times he says, I will. Four, he says something about Joseph. He says, I will make a great nation of you there. Who will? God says, I will. I will. I will go with you down to Egypt. Don't be afraid. I will go with you. He says, I will surely bring you up again. In other words, if you're mindful of what I said about Abraham and Abraham's descendants and 400 years of captivity, he says, don't you worry about that. I will bring you up again. I will bring you up again. He says, Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. You will see Joseph again. Hope. Fear is a lack of faith. Fear often is a lack of perspective. Fear most often is exempt of hope, void of hope. Can I remind every one of us this morning, and I'm gonna invite those who are gonna serve communion to us this morning, 
Will you come and prepare to serve communion? May I remind every one of us, God is for us and God is good. He's always good. God is good and he is working good to those who are the called in Christ Jesus. Are you operating out of fear today? Are you gripped by fear? Are you unduly being motivated by fear? Are you paralyzed? Do you have the paralysis of analysis? Like Jacob, maybe you're at a crossing in your life. You're at a transition. You're at a place where you're gonna have to leave Beersheba the edge of the promised land and you're going into something and some unknown territory and you're fearful of unknown. I'm so thankful that our Father in heaven doesn't want us to stay there and reside there and pitch tent and camp there. Can you hear him? Can you hear his voice? Can you hear him calling you by name? Peace, peace, peace. Thank you, brother. The Lord bless you. As a child of God, he is speaking to us faith, faith to believe. Wherever we go, God will be with us, helping us, and he will be working out his perfect plan in our lives. We're coming to the communion table today. A familiar place for many of us, perhaps most of us, it's a remembrance of what Jesus, what God our Father, what the Holy Spirit have planned for us. It really is a picture of our salvation in Christ, the new covenant in his shed blood. He has provided for us. The bread is matzah bread. It's bread without leaven. Leaven is a type of sin in the scripture. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He was without leaven. It's both scored and pierced. The prophet Zechariah reminds us that they will look upon the one in whom they have pierced. And since the time of the crucifixion, the bread... Every time Jews have partaken in the Passover, they have looked upon the one in whom they crucified. Scored. Isaiah the prophet reminds us, by his stripes we are healed. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross at Calvary, our sin debt has been paid. It is finished. In that Seder meal, there are four cups throughout the Seder dinner, the Passover meal. And the night in which Jesus was betrayed at that last Passover meal, the scripture says after supper he took the cup. That is the third cup of the Passover meal or the Seder meal. It is known as the cup of redemption. And Jesus declared, blessing He said, this cup 
represents the new covenant in my shed blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Each time we partake of the cup willfully, when Dave Morris says, I am going to partake of this cup, I am declaring publicly by choice, I am a participant in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His blood atones for my sin. And I said yes to the Lord. If you're here today and you've never publicly declared that your faith is in Jesus Christ, but you realize today that you want to know that your sin, your disobediences are covered by the atoning work that Jesus provided, shedding his own blood to cover your sin. He who was perfect. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, God caused him to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to become sin. God provided a sacrifice for us. If you would like to know that your sin is forgiven, you would like to declare, I want to come under the covering of Jesus Christ. I'm done making coverings for myself, trying to atone for my sin, trying to make right my wrongs. You say, only Jesus can make it right, and I can be right with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. If today you willfully partake of the bread and the juice, you will be declaring to those around you, I am coming under the authority of Jesus Christ, his life covering my sin. We would encourage you to do so. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The scripture says if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. We want to invite you to make that declaration with us today. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a Christ follower, we would encourage you to come and talk with us afterwards. And we would love to speak into your life and encourage you in your journey and your pursuit of discovering Jesus. To all who are family here, we simply say, in just a few moments, we're going to invite you to come down the center aisles and receive the emblems. Will you carry them back to your seat? We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll receive them together. In fact, I invite you to stand at this time. Will you stand with me? And as you, as you make your way to our elders up front and those who are serving us, and you receive or you take the emblems back to your seat, if there's some things that you've been afraid of, if there's things that you fear and it's inordinate, we want to encourage you to fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord to spend time in his holy word, to be encouraged by the truth, to renounce the lies from the evil one, and to believe, to believe the Lord. I invite you to come at this time. Will you make your way to the center? Come forward and receive these emblems, and let's bring them back to our seats, and let's take time to think and listen to the Lord as he speaks to our hearts this morning.
Jesus was betrayed in the midst of the meal he took the bread and broke the bread and giving thanks he said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me again it's a representation mindful of what Christ accomplished for you and accomplished for me as we pray in the next moment for the bread if you have things that have been inordinate in terms of fear in your life, would you take just a moment and say, Lord, will you help me see things in proper perspective? May I know that you are God, you are sovereign, and that you are with me. Father, this morning, thank you for your great plan of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Thank you, Father, for your love 
toward us. Thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that it is through faith in Jesus Christ that we have the remission of sin. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts, God, that you raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We make that confession today. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Oh, will you have your lordship in our lives? We give you thanks. Let's partake of the bread together this morning. Hallelujah. On the same night, after supper, Jesus taking the cup, giving thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my shed blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Symbolically, that cup representing the cup of redemption. Jesus declaring that redemption is no longer in the blood of bulls and rams, but redemption is found in my blood, making sacrifice once for all. And so, Jesus, we remember what you did, shedding your own blood upon the cross at Calvary. We are so thankful that though your body was placed in a tomb, death had no hold on you. Three days later, you came out of the grave alive and you live forevermore. We thank you that it is in your blood that we, our sin, is covered. And so we say yes. Father, thank you for your plan. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience. Thank you, Spirit, for your revealing. Let's partake of the cup together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you our fears. Lord, will you build faith? May we know that you are God, that you are with us. Thank you that you relieve our fears when we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. All other things become dim. And so, Lord, in the midst of the storm, we come to you. In the midst of the storm, we look to you. In the midst of the storm, we hear you say, either to the storm, be still, or to your child, be still. So, Lord, thank you. Now will you go with us as we go from this place to convey the love of God through Jesus Christ. In each of our realms of influence, Lord, may we touch people's lives for your kingdom. We love you and we praise you. May we go from this place with a love now bag and filling them and bringing them to the all one service. And may we be doing our part in seeing the lives of unborn babies saved. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. Amen. God bless you as you go from this place. Let's go be the church. Amen? Amen. amen. God bless you.